Will's turn. Well, we need to start, huh? So Seattle will tell us about mindfulness meditation. First of all, we need to know, remember that meditation is uh, the work of the mind. We meditate with our minds. And bhavana, which is roughly translated as meditation, bhavana literally means cultivation. And and what are we cultivating? He says we are cultivating what we call the five faculties. The five faculties are um, awareness, stability of mind, faith, (laughs) wisdom, and right effort. And not in that order. (laughs) And um, so we're cultivating these five faculties. And the way Seattle says it, when these five faculties work together, we call that meditation. And the the nature of the mind is that it arises and passes away every moment, but there is hope because it the the mind leaves behind it it leaves behind its quality, it leaves an inheritance for the next mind. So the next mind picks up the qualities of the mind that has just passed away and it can carry on its work with the qualities that it has received and it goes on. So whatever we are cultivating in the moment with our minds, whether it's something skillful or unskillful, the more we cultivate that quality, the the stronger that quality becomes. And so that's why if we understand this nature of how cultivation helps the mind to make itself stronger, we then begin to understand the importance of meditating all the time. We generally approach meditation Sometimes in a part-time fashion, we set aside time to meditate. So um, he says, so our mind hasn't sometimes totally embraced the fact that we have to meditate or be aware all the time. So, he says, the reality is that the moment we're not aware, then there is delusion. And so, in order to give awareness and awakening a chance, we need to cultivate it all the time so that that becomes 
the strong quality in the mind, the way the mind is heading. And that is why um, all meditation teachers emphasize that we need to be aware from the moment we are awake in the morning till we are asleep, <coughs> whenever that is. And so that is why continuity of awareness is so very important. So when we do something continuously, we're cultivating these qualities of, of awakeness, of awareness, all the qualities that, that work together, he says, they become much, much stronger. They become a power. So first, he says, the way we use our minds, we've got to um, learn how to use our minds in the right way, and then we need to cultivate that. We need to keep going with that. Um, but generally, he says, in our lives, he says, there is so much, you know, frustration, greed, delusion, and it's very normal, he says, for these qualities to come into our meditation. We'll find these qualities manifesting themselves as we try to meditate. So sometimes almost unnoticed, sneaky, they come in and they try to do the meditation, our greed, aversion and our delusion. So no pressure, but we need to remind ourselves that <clears throat> that the mind that we bring to meditation, the mind that is being aware, um, that mind, that awareness needs to be um, not deluded, not greedy, not averse. And all we need to do is check. We don't actually need to correct it. We need to check to see what that mind that is being aware, well, how is it doing its work. And it depends on whether we see what's happening in our minds. Sometimes it's like we don't notice and sometimes we do. And he says, if we check often, we will not begin to notice more, and perhaps more often, if there is any, um, if there are any spies in our mindfulness. Yeah, and it depends on where we are at any moment, right? We, our minds go from skillful to unskillful in various modes during the day. And he says in moments of skillfulness, we might fi find it quite easy to detect these, you know, um, things in our mind and, and, um, and, it, and just detecting it might 
corrected. And sometimes we can be in a state where we're so zoned into what we're trying to observe, we don't notice how we are observing it. Anything is possible. And he makes a special point that, you know, this noticing how we are being mindful is important because when um, we start becoming sort of blinkered, we are um, becoming too invested in what we are trying to observe. That's greed. Or we become averse to what we are observing. We're becoming judgmental about our experience. He says we can become so blinkered because we think we need to fix it. And he says when we don't notice that that's how we're doing it, we keep doing it. And we can go a whole day, sometimes days just in that mode. So please check. And the other thing that can happen, he says, in these modes is that we use too much effort. Too much efforting, he says, he really wants us to, in a sense, if we just check whether we are efforting, he says, um, that will help us to relax and relax the powers of those greeds and aversions. Um, yeah, so. yeah, and not just greed and aversion, but delusion as well. When we don't know something, we start trying too hard to find out what's going on. Um, when we want something too much, we keep thinking we should be doing something. All these are signs that we are beginning to try too hard. And the trying too hard means that greed, aversion, or delusion is in there. If you think about the way we are in life, when we want something, we start trying harder. We make more effort. When we don't like something, we start making more effort. When we're confused, we start making more effort. And he says the same thing happens in meditation. Yeah, so... He doesn't want to use words like concentrate or penetrate into the object or anything like that. None of that. Just awareness. He wants us to relax. Really relax and be aware. He says one of the Wonderful things that happens when we relax is that we not only notice the things that we're observing, we notice the fact that we're observing. We notice the awareness itself that is working to help us be aware. And he does want us to be mindful all day long, to be aware of ourselves all day long. And if we don't relax, he says, we'll be really tired. So, so please relax and be relentless. Yes, and it's okay to relax because, he says, the nature of it is that if we keep doing something continuously, it's going to get stronger. 
It's like if you work your muscle continuously, it's going to get stronger. It's the same with the mind and its qualities. So you can relax and just keep being aware. Awareness will get stronger. But he always calls effort right effort. He never just says effort. He says right effort because he says it needs to be the right effort so that we can relax and do it all day long. Um, when we're using some wrong effort, it's when we're trying too hard because there is the greed aversion or delusion that's coming in, which we'll discover. <laughs> And, and the, um, the role of right effort, Seattle says, the role of right effort is merely to keep the awareness going. It's not to fix any problems. It's not to get your attention on the right object or do the right thing. The only right thing is just to be aware. And... Um, he says, so the right effort we want to remember is just to maintain continuity, just to keep being aware of what's happening. And he says, he wants an awareness that becomes stronger because of the nature of the mind, right? The nature of the mind is that if you keep doing something, it will get stronger. And he wants that natural strength to show itself to you. Instead of us trying to have good awareness, he says, it's more like, let's have whatever awareness we have and let's just keep that awareness growing and going. And, and that will make it grow and become better of its own accord. And he wants us to see that quality grow. That quality manifest. And um, and he said that requires us to not put in too much effort and of course not have too little effort. Right? It has to be a steady, a steadiness, a steady willingness to just keep going. And if we're patient with that process, he says, very naturally over the days you'll find sparks, moments where this quality shows itself, where it's very natural and, and much better than we imagined. Yeah. Yeah. He says, you know, um, there is our putting in effort. Like if I had to carry something heavy and I wasn't able to, I could put in effort to carry it, you know, to be able to bear it. He says... Um, or we could be naturally strong, you know, I've maybe been going to the gym and I'm stronger and I can just lift it and it happens so naturally. He says we, we would like, he would like us to experience that, that sort of strength that comes with going to the gym regularly. Mm. Yeah. So the important thing is for the awareness to have the opportunity to be around longer and um, for as long stretches as you can keep it going.
And don't beat yourself up about when it goes. He says, when we don't understand the nature of the mind, that it comes and goes, sometimes it's here, sometimes it's not here, sometimes it's, um, you're able to be aware, sometimes you're not. When you're not um, accepting of the nature of the mind, we start trying too hard. We think we need to, we need to do it. He said, instead, if we just remember that we're back in the moment and just start again, just be aware again. And he would like to. Um, yeah. He says, lots of you have practiced with him before, so he's not ask, going to ask all of you, but there are some of you who may not have. And he wants to do a demonstration so that you remember, you can sort of see what it feels like to just be aware. And that it's okay to begin like that again and again. Do you recognize that you're sitting? Yeah. You recognize that you're seeing? Yeah. You know? Yes? Are you sure? You're very sure that see you're seeing, right? You recognize that you're seeing. How much energy did you have to use? How much effort did you have to put into that? And when... And since when have you been seeing compared to since when did you recognize that you're seeing? Right. So often we remember when we're reminded, right? Somebody points it out and, oh yeah, this is happening. So this is sort of like, it's, it's one level of delusion that we're seeing all the time, but we don't recognize this amazing facility. We wake up in the morning, we open our eyes and seeing begins to happen. And he says, we don't see the seeing. We see what we see, right? We see our table, the things we have to do, but we don't see the faculty itself. But recognizing that this is happening, recognizing that we have this this facility, this ability to see, that's awareness. That's awareness of ourselves. Is it difficult? No. <laughs> Tiring? No. <laughs> he said, and that's, that's all the energy that we need to be aware of ourselves. That's all. <laughs> And we just need to allow this recognition of ourselves to um, pervade ourselves for as long as it will last until we remember again. Uh, 
An easy way, he said, he because somebody once asked him um, to define awareness, he said, um, an easy way to remember it is to, to remember that when we know our six senses, which is seeing, smelling, hearing, touching, what else? What's Tasting, yes. These five and the... And our mental activities, what's going on in our mind, our thinking, our feeling, right? When we can recognize our body and mind's activities, he says, that's when we are aware. Because what we can truly experience is only ourselves, only our senses. We can't experience the sunlight or the grass. We can experience our seeing and our feeling so mm. so somebody once asked him they were traveling in a car together and the person said Seattle I I I'm aware that this car passed by us. Um, does that mean that I'm aware? So Seattle thought about it. Good question. He, he checked with himself uh, and what he was aware of. So he wants to ask all of you, if you notice a car pass by, is that enough? Are you aware? If we were, you know, if we consider ourselves to be meditating, or to have meditative awareness, he says, would we say that we are aware? How did we know that the car passed by? Right now with the sound Hearing, yeah. So when we recognize how we know the experience, so we heard, right, the hearing, or we saw, we felt the vibrations or whatever. When we recognize the, the conduit through which we recognized what we know, he says, we are aware. Yeah. How do we connect with our world, Seattle says? We connect to the world through our senses, all six of them, including the mind. Without these senses, we wouldn't be connected to the outside. So all this information we get through our six sense doors, we then interpret and we make sense of things around us. So very often Seattle uses the word object as in what we are aware of. But when he uses the word object, he means actually our senses. It's not the floor, it's the seeing. 
You know, that's the object. It's, it's not the birds, it's the hearing that we can hear. You know, sound is an object, but when we interpret it as the bird, it becomes the next step, which we can know, but to remember that it's through hearing that we can, and interpreting that we can know the bird. So don't forget that the object is our direct senses. Uh, senses. Okay. So that's why, again, he says, we don't need a lot of energy to know the object because the object is our senses. And that's so close to us that all we need to do is recognize it. Yes, and these inverted commas objects, our senses, are always available to us. We're constantly we're constantly hearing and sensing, feeling, thinking, and so on. So the objects are always there. He says, what's not so easily available to us is our recognition of it, our awareness of it, um, the continuity of our awareness of it, you know, we, and so on. So he wants us to relax, bodily and mentally, relax. Yeah, so anytime you're finding yourself getting tired, he says, please rest. Don't do anything to make yourself tired from meditating. But be careful of becoming dull and tired. You know, we can get tired from also not putting in enough effort. Like it's more tiring to sit than to be working sometimes. Like if you're sitting for hours, that's as, as tiring as, um, yeah, maybe more tiring than running. So in that sense, he says, if you notice you're becoming dull, it's also because there's not enough energy. So it needs to be relaxed, but interested so that there's energy. And that keeps us alive. And this, this energy that is interest, um, that's a function of wisdom. And wisdom is, yeah, wisdom is a big word, um, but if we um, think of it in a practical sense, it's, wisdom is also our common sense, our curiosity. All that is wisdom at work, he's saying. So he, you know, he wants us to, to recognize these wisdoms that we can bring um, to our meditation, the ordinary wisdoms. Mm. And this is part of the way we uh, meditate. Part of the uh, the way we meditate, it it affects how we are aware, right? The quality of our awareness, just our our innate wisdom. So finally, he says, then why are we being aware? Why do we want to be aware? Are you aware? Why do we meditate? What is our goal? Function better. Function better. Hmm? Purify the mind. Purify the mind. Say, go sit, Jay, I'm not. What is it? Purify the mind. 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 Purify the m
he says it's sort of like a step by step thing. He says, first, we're just being aware, very simple. And as we become, we continue to be aware, awareness gets stronger. And he says, when awareness gets stronger, um, and because of the process we go through, just to be aware moment to moment, he says, and we're aware of the same so to speak, the same things all the time, the five senses over and over again, the six senses, sorry. And um, he says we begin to see more of how they function and how they function together. Uh, when we look at something for a long, long time, we understand more about what we're looking at. If we live together with someone for a long time, we begin to understand their personalities and so more. In the same way, as we observe ourselves, we begin to understand how this mind and body works. <coughs> We want to understand how our senses work, how the mind works. When we want to, when we're curious, we want to understand something, then we observe it more. For those of us who've been maybe watching the breath, or maybe you have some other, something else that you've been using for your meditation, and if you've been doing it for years, he says, have you discovered more about whatever you've been observing? Yes. Yes. Over the years, yeah? And so he says, the purpose of awareness is to discover. Right? And when we discover, it becomes more interesting. So then we want to keep observing. Who is breathing? Why is breathing going on? So he says when we're being aware, if... Behind our awareness, there is a healthy interest in understanding the mind and the body. He says that will feed the motivation to be mindful quite naturally. When we fall asleep while sitting meditation, he says you can be sure that the mind wasn't very interested in what it was watching. It was just watching, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. So often, Seattle says, we observe something and then um, it becomes quiet. And we don't know what to do with that. We don't investigate or we're not then curious about how the, the quietness came about, what was the process that we went through and how this is quiet. We sort of take the quietness for granted. And then, Sierra says, we slip into that zone. You know, we start to feel good because it's quiet. It feels good. We think it's good. And then we slide under. (laughs) So at that point, Sierra says, we lose the objective of meditation. Why are we being aware? It's not to be quiet, but then we've lost the plot, 
So we sort of sink into the quietness. We we don't remain alert. We don't rem- we don't remember that the point is to be aware. Um, and yeah. But if we were constantly curious about how the mind works, so it's quiet now. How did it become become quiet? Can we remember what we were doing, the process that we went through that led to this quietness now? Do we understand that this is, does it sort of come to us that this is how the mind works? And if the mind does this, then it brings quiet. And is that always true? Do we investigate it a second time the next time we become quiet? And is, does it still hold true? So do we have this curiosity about how our mind works and how it works with our body? And when the mind is quieter, actually, we can see more of what's functioning behind the scenes, so to speak, because the, the, the noise in front has quieted down and there's more happening in the background that's sort of running the show. And we have an opportunity to see all that if we will be curious. So it's great to be relaxed um, and so on, Seattle says, but we do need to be interested. So, and in the Satipatthana Sutta, he says, um, there is often a line uh, that says, um, and removing um, aversion and greed, we observe. Maybe aversion and delusion, we observe. And then he says that makes us wonder, how do we remove this aversion and greed in in the way we observe? How do we do that? Um, He says one of the ways that we can do that is to intellectually bring in right view. And um, this right view can be very helpful, especially when we're practicing vipassana. What is right view? He says, right view is a way of thinking. Okay, and if he will tell us soon. Um, And if we bring in this way of thinking, sometimes it can almost magically make our aversion and greed and delusion sort of fall away momentarily so that we can And when we bring in these modes of right view, Seattle says, um, it's basically thinking about the the, the, the fundamental truth or fundamental nature of something, right? When we um, think about this truth and if it rings true for us, when we think about it intellectually and it rings true for us, at that moment, because it rings true, it settles the mind. And when it settles the mind, 
the, the aversions and delusions and greeds that we might have towards the moment will fall away because we can feel the truth in that intellectual idea that we've brought in. And the right view that Seattle would like us to use is um, the idea that these mental and bodily processes are processes of nature. They have their own nature, they're manifesting their own nature, and they're showing their nature to us. And that's something for us to learn from or learn about instead of taking it personally. Right? And if we can tap into that truth, if we can um, think about that, well, this is just nature, and not buy into the story that you know, for example, we might think, why is this happening to me? Why am I thinking like this? And instead of that, thinking, oh, the mind thinks like this. If we can tap into that truth and, and accept it, if the mind is like, oh, yeah, okay, then in that moment, we'll find ourselves not struggling so much with what we're observing. <laughs> So, um, one of the ways that, um, that we can expand on this basic um, idea is to remind ourselves that the mind is just the mind, right? And what does it mean when we say the mind is just the mind? He says one of them is that, um, one of the definitions of mind is that the mind is that which thinks, so when the mind is thinking and we're frustrated with it and we think, well, the nature of the mind is to think. So of course it will think, right? If we can, if we can feel aligned with that, we can then allow ourselves to observe that the mind is thinking instead of being frustrated. <laughs> Another nature of the mind is that it knows. That's another definition of the mind, that that which knows is the mind. So when we know something, instead of being like, oh no, why is this happening? If we recognize that, oh, I'm knowing, that knowing is happening, that's why I know this, you know, then we can rejoice in the fact that there is knowing and awareness. And that's the nature of the mind. So, if we're able to tap into this, you know, this very broad understanding, which we can understand in many um, sub ways, you know, but if we can understand that everything that we experience is nature, everything we experience through our senses, the mind and the body, is happening of its own nature, he says. And that it's its own nature, he, he says, points to the fact that it has its own processes, its own laws of cause and effect. Everything is happening because, for a reason, everything has its own cause and effect. And there's a chain of causation happening, and we can understand that chain of causation. Um, <laughs> 
And because it's a process that has its own law of cause and effect, he says, that's why he says it's not personal. So as we observe ourselves, as we observe these five, these six senses, he says, if we would remind ourselves that these senses are nature. If we can um, keep reminding ourselves that this is nature, because our habit, he says, is to refer to these six senses as myself. I'm seeing something, I'm hearing something, I'm thinking something, I'm feeling something. So instead of you know, buying into that way of talking to ourselves, if we would maybe change the, the words so that we can uh, go into the other mode a little bit, if we can remind ourselves that, oh, the mind is thinking, this is the nature of the mind, or, or this is, the mind is feeling this, and see why the mind is feeling this. If we can remind ourselves that all this is happening of its own nature. It, <laughs> Seeing is happening. Hearing is happening. Aversion is happening, you know. Um, instead of um, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm angry, you know, and, and that builds. We've, we've bought into the story of what we feel and what we think, right? We identify with all our thoughts and our beliefs. When we want something, we think, I really like this, our desire for it grows. When we don't like something, we're like, I really don't want this to happen, our aversion grows. And we buy into it, right? But if we would see it as the mind thinking. And it's because when we buy into this idea of self, when we buy into the idea that, you know, into this idea of whatever the mind is feeding us, um, Seattle says, it's because every time we buy into it, our defilements grow. Every time we buy into it, the unwholesome, you know, the unwholesome qualities of our mind grow, we get more greedy or averse or deluded. He says, that's why they're called wrong view. That's why that, way of thinking is called wrong view. Because it brings more suffering. So whenever there is wrong view, we'll find that whatever unwholesome quality that we're holding, we'll find that it gets worse. Usually twice as bad or, or more. Yeah. He says, he says people who are depressed are super self-aware, super. They really know what's going on in their mind and what they feel. He says, but what really kills it is that they then follow it up with, I'm so depressed. And that really drives it, the stake deeper into the heart. So Seattle says, when we approach meditation, Seattle says, 
we will come across all these different qualities of our mind. And if we're going to identify with all these things that we start to notice, um, Seattle says, it's, it's going to be, uh, it, it can be a terrible experience. <laughs> it can be very trying if we identify with what we're observing. Yeah, so whatever we're observing, whether we're observing the breath, our thoughts, our feelings, or our movements, Yaro says, remind yourself that it's just nature. Don't think of it as my breath. Just try. Yeah, and you know the Satipatthana has four sort of sections, right? There is the Kaya Nupasana, contemplation of the body, then contemplation of feeling, and then mind, and then contemplation of Dhamma, right? And contemplation of Dhamma is when everything is nature. So your body, feelings, and mind are all nature. And if we're identified, right? If we... If we're identified, it becomes very difficult to see everything as Dhamma because if we're identified, it's not Dhamma, it's me, right? (laughs) Dhamma means nature, right? So right view is so, so important because right view helps us to um, decrease the powers of the, uh, the greed, the aversions, and the delusions. And at first, we use right view. We bring it in intellectually. But if we start to understand it a little bit, get glimpses into its truth, that, it's, that that is true, he says, every time we get a glimpse into the truth of the fact that everything is just nature, we free the mind a little bit from greed, aversion, and delusion. So in the Satipatthana Sutra, Syaro says, these two are actually the most important two bits. The first is the right effort, which is to be relaxed and relentless. And the second one... (laughs) 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 So it's like keep the pedal on, but yeah, you don't have to push it too hard. Um, And the second one is right view. Mm-hmm. Are there any total beginners here? No. Total beginner? Okay. Yeah. If you're a total beginner, then he says, or if you feel like a beginner, which we often do. (laughs) Beginner's mind, right? It's very helpful. Um, He says, then we can always start by doing the very simple, which is by starting with the bodily senses. They're much less confronting. (laughs) So just noticing... Our body, movements of the body, feelings of the body, yeah? 
Okay, and now we're jumping. Um, and if you've had a steady practice and you feel tuned into, and when he says the mind now, he means the awareness. If you feel tuned into your sense of awareness, Seattle says, whenever you can, be with your awareness. If you remember that you're being aware, Remember that. When you can't, go back to the normal, just being aware of the six senses. Right? He says, whenever you notice that you're being aware, he says, um, appreciate that. Sort of acknowledge that awareness, that awareness is the one that's doing the work, that's helping you to be in touch with the six senses. And when you're not able to tune into that, it's fine. Because it's still working. It's just become like our glasses, which we can't see. Usually we see the, what we see through the glasses. So when we're seeing through the glasses, that's fine. And then some, once in a while, we notice the glasses. That's good, too. Yeah. When we are able to see the glasses, when we know the awareness, he says uh, it means that we have the full picture. We know what we are in touch with. We know whether we're seeing or hearing or touching or feeling or thinking. And we also know that we are aware of it. And and he would like us... um, uncharacteristically, to um, actually try to remember to recognize that we're seeing and hearing. Uh, sorry, seeing, seeing and? Looking. looking, not hearing. <laughs> seeing and looking. Because seeing and looking is such a, a ubiquitous part of our life. He says, how much do we look in a day? Are we aware of it? No, we can find out now. He says, because if we brought this awareness into our lives, we would be so much aware because it's part of every moment. Looking, <clears throat> Yes, and um, looking, he says, uh, looking is when we pay attention to something. We actually look at it in order to know what it is or what we want to do with it. And he says, looking um, brings in the activity of the mind. It's not a passive uh, thing like seeing, which is just like a, a function that happens through the eyes. Yeah. It's a paying attention. And paying attention means we're already using the faculty of our thinking, interpretation, and so on. And we can notice that we're looking and our mind is at attention. And it happens through e- our ears too, right? we're hearing, or when we try to know what we're tasting. Yeah, so paying attention. When we see the mind, that's paying attention. Yeah, yeah. and he asks us to do it more because we don't have a habit of, of recognizing that we're seeing and looking. And if we want to make that part of our daily practice, um, in a way, we have to give it more attention for a while until the mind begins to sort of um, feel at ease with recognizing that. It's something that we've ignored for so long. 
And he believes that none of the yogis here have a problem with their thinking mind anymore. They're <laughs> perfectly okay when the mind starts thinking. Yes? No? <laughs> he says, when there is thinking mind, Sarah says, he would like us to be less interested in the content of the thought and more interested in the fact or the process of the thinking mind, that there is something going on. For example, there is interpretation going on, there is beliefs going on, there is ideas going on, there is, you know, there's all sorts of um, fears and so on. The process rather than the content. Mm. He says, being aware of thinking mind is very similar to trying to be aware of seeing because the mind instantly goes into the story or the content. You know, it's so easy to forget that we're seeing because we see the grass. Yeah, so now we're not interested in the content and the concept, we're interested in the nature. How does thinking happen? How, how is the thinking winding itself? So the nature of thinking, he says that thinking has begun, that there's a reason this thought began, that this thought is going to lead to something else. And what's that going to be? Why is that? Right? So, understanding the nature of thinking rather than the content of the thought. Although the content gives you a clue, but not to get lost in the content. Sarah says um, he would like to sort of walk us through this. Um, we often say that we've been watching our defilements. For example, there is greed in the mind. And we say we're watching greed. Sierra says, how are we able to say that? How are we able to name that? What, what is the experience that we are naming? Yeah. So say, let, let's call it greed. Okay, let's, let's make the example greed. And what is it that's making you recognize that you are watching greed. Most of the time, it's because of what we're thinking or feeling in the moment, right? And we've called it greed. We, we recognize that there are signs of greed in the thinking and feeling, yes? But the thought is not greed, right? Thinking is, thinking is just thinking, right? The thought is not greed. But the feeling is not greed either, right? The feeling reflects greed, but the feeling is not greed. The feeling is just a feeling, right? So what is greed? Sorry? Wrong thing. Wrong thing? 
wanting. So what he's sort of getting to is that it is through this sort of process that we can get in touch with the nature of greed. Because, you know, we call it greed, but we're watching our thoughts or our feelings, and then there is some quality that we recognize is behind it, which is not the thinking and not the feeling, but there's a quality. Can we get in touch with that quality? So our thoughts and our feelings are like the gateway for us to access greed or aversion or delusion. It's, they're like the gateway, right? And so we need to use thinking mind. We need to observe it so that we know what is the quality that it's, that's emanating from it, that it's hiding or displaying, however you want to think of it. And thinking is on so many levels, right? We have our um, very gross, chattering minds. We have thoughts that we think deliberately, thoughts that we think subconsciously. And then there is our monologues and dialogues in our heads that are just doing their own thing, figuring out our lives for us. Uh, but that's our thinking mind too. Or the thinking mind. Yeah. And it is so important to recognize the monologuing and dialoguing that sort of goes on unnoticed most of the time because we, that's helping us live our lives, right? We, we, those are our beliefs and our value systems almost. And he says it's important to recognize those because otherwise they're just running our lives and we don't realize whether they're skillful or not. Um, the danger is getting lost in thought (laughs) so um, so it's like a, a, a balancing game he doesn't want us to get lost in thought so you know we should recognize thought but beware of following a thought if you know that you're not objective enough to not get sucked in. Hmm? <laughs> and noise, I won't call it sound, noise, noise, somebody blowing their nose, walking in noisily through the door. Does that still bother us? He thinks not, right? Doesn't bother us anymore. We can talk loudly outside there and you'll be fine. <laughs> pain? Pain? Anybody still have a problem with pain? <laughs> yes? Why do we observe pain, Sierrasis? Why, why when pain comes up, is it something that we try to get in touch with? He says... Why would we bother? He, he doesn't say we have to sit through pain, so we can just make ourselves comfortable, right? Why bother to watch pain at all? Why? Do we need to watch? Want to know. <laughs> Want to know what? About what? The mind. What? The mind. The mind. 
So the reason we watch pain, Sierra says, is because um, pain is also a process. And pain is actually a process of the interaction of the mind and the body. Because um, it's not painful unless the mind participates in the pain. And we want to understand and see whether we can stop participating, whether it's possible. Hmm? When we truly understand the nature of pain, and there is several facets to that, uh, when we understand each facet of it, it takes away, you know, one way that we contribute to our own pain. So the first thing that you will notice when there is pain is that the mind is already reacting, right? And he always says, the first thing to watch is the reaction of the mind. Never go straight to the pain. When there's pain, it's a sign that the mind is reacting. And the right thing to observe at that time is the reaction of the mind. And when we can watch the reaction of the mind, he says the mind may stop reacting. May. Because it might get worse. It might get worse. And so in both scenarios, we're going to observe when the reaction gets worse, what is our experience of pain? You, you know, you'll see both of it together. And when the reaction gets less, what is the experience of pain? And then we begin to understand how the reaction of the mind actually f- gives us our experience of pain. Mm. So when there is aversive reaction in the mind towards pain, how does it feel? When this aversive reaction gets less, less aversion, what is the experience of pain? And then when we understand or see through it sometimes, what is the experience of what was pain just now? So, of course, those were, that was sitting meditation, right? Pain, or maybe sometimes we do it when not in sitting. But um, the rest of the day, every moment that you walk, you sit, you eat, you look, Seattle would like. And when you drive. Yeah, keep reminding yourself, what does the mind know now? What does the mind know now? Is the mind aware? Is there awareness? There is different ways to be mindful, Seattle says. You know, we can try to be mindful or we can just remind ourselves, oh, what am I aware of? What am I aware of? He says the energy level is quite different and you can experiment and see what works for you. And sometimes different things work at different times. So, you know, sometimes just reminding ourselves, saying, what am I aware of? It can be more restful than trying to be aware. (laughs) 
Yeah, and you're going to be driving, so that's a time that you can be conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And Seattle doesn't want to sort of dictate whether you speak or not. Um, he says, but truly what he wants you to prioritize is mindfulness. So whether you speak or not, he wants you to be mindful. And he says it takes mindfulness. It takes remembering to not speak. And it also takes a lot more remembering to be aware when you speak. So whatever you do, if you're going to lose your mindfulness, prioritize mindfulness, please. <laughs> he says this is to like build habits for ourselves so that even in life we can use the same habits, do the same things so that we can remain mindful at home. He thinks he thinks you'll be able to do it. <laughs> yes? Yeah. So every day we'll meet here in the evening at four thirty. Half past four. Sadu sadu sadu. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.